In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... Betches Moms, with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom or wherever else you hide from your kids because you'll literally never be alone again. Hello and welcome to the Betches Moms podcast. I'm Aileen, as you guys know, and today we are joined by two-time author whose book Father Figure how to be a feminist dad just came out and our first dad on this podcast, Jordan Shapiro. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you for inviting me. It is kind of super exciting to be the first dad on here. It's like a real achievement. Just kind of super exciting. Just, <laughs> just kind of. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is an achievement. I'm really excited to hear your perspective. Your, the title of your book is very intriguing. Um but before we get into all of that, so you're a dad. That's, I am. Yeah. yeah, you're a father. So how many kids do you have? How old are they? What's the whole, what's the context of all what's of this? What's the context? Well, I, I have two kids and two stepkids, and I don't even know how old they are. They're like annoying teenagers. They're <laughs> like, they, they range from like 12 to 16. Um, um, they're all mixed together. So, I, so, so the ones that are my birth children are 16 and 14. 14 and the other ones I think are 15 and 12. I think, I think. Uh, there's so many birthdays to her. I know what dates they are and I bake That's the good. cakes and all. I just don't <laughs> care how, what age they are. You know, do you ever notice kids when they're really little, they like compete over that as if they did something. They're like, well, I'm four and a half. My birthday's before yours. I don't know. I'm about to have my first kids. So we're oh, going to find sorry. out. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's okay, but um, you're 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 making a good case for uh, fa- father figure. <laughs> I don't know how old my kids are, you know, <laughs> teens at some age. Um, but that's a lot. That's a lot of um, teenage, almost teenage, preteen kids. Handful. Absolutely, it is a it is a handful, and um, um, you know, it, it, I mean, in some ways, as they get older, it gets easier. And in some ways, as it gets older, they get, it gets harder. Um, you know, the, 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 the hardest sort of exhausting work is definitely when kids are really, really little, but I think the harder mental work comes as they start to get old enough to challenge you and argue with you. And you have to think of like, you know, little kids, you just say stop and they, and they like, okay, I want to please you dad. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, They still love you. (laughs) Older kids, you say stop. And they're like, can we debate the reason why you think maybe I should stop? <laughs> it, cha- it it definitely challenges your like your reasoning for for your reason for why you're telling them to do what they're what you want them to do. I mean, also when you're they're younger, you sort of I don't know, you kind of you're not as scared to mess them up as when they're a little bit older, right? I'm assuming. Oh, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I think I think it depends what you mean. Uh, I, I, <laughs> All sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the 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 interesting thing is like 
I, I mean, I guess you're a lot uh, when they were really young, lots of lots of like health scares and really like not relaxed about that. You know, it's like it's yeah. like, I don't know if it's that sound is healthy. I don't know. Oh, is it possible? <laughs> From a parenting perspective, like your reactions, they might remember oh. <laughs> like 15 years later, <laughs> but when they're really little. Oh, they, I hope that's not true because, uh, you know, I was much more patient when they were little. <laughs> and much, <laughs> it's, it's much more frustrating to deal that's with, funny. to deal with, um, um, you know, 13 year olds who really don't know very much at all, but don't believe, you know, anything either. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my God. I don't I can't even wrap my brain around that. I get it's, it's weird to think about that when I can remember myself as a 13 year old, 10 year old, and like what I thought of my parents, it's just, it's like a really weird, I mean, I'm, a, I'm literally about to have, we were supposed to record last Friday. Oh, really? I got stuck at my OB. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Hopefully he understands. I'm 38 weeks pregnant. I didn't like, get all those details, but I still understood. So, okay. Well, now you understand. So I'm like, I'm all of those kind of emotions or those thoughts are going through my head and just like thinking about, you know, how you're talking about your kids' ages and just, I, I can remember myself as this age. How is that possible yeah, that that's it's, about to it's, happen? It's, it's nuts. And it's also definitely. a wake-up call. You sort of, I mean, this first happened when I first started teaching um, in, in, in a university undergrads. And I suddenly realized, whoa, I wasn't nearly as old when I was 20 as I thought I was. I wasn't nearly as mature <laughs> as I thought I was. And now you, I watch teenagers and it's the, sort of the right. same thing. You sort of remember those fights you had with your parents where you were sure you were so smart. And now I'm like, I'm like, whoa, I must must have yep. been just like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Yeah, that's dumber. true. That's true. Absolutely. I do think that, the, that, that, that today's kids are much smarter or at least more sophisticated because they have a lot more access to ideas than, yeah. than, than previous generations. For sure. Well, let's, let's talk about your book. Okay. So when it, the premise is, is that when it comes to books about parenting identity, a, a lot of it centers around motherhood but yours is about fathers and dads. So can you tell us about like why you wrote it and how, and what, it, what is it about? What, it, what are you, what, what would I get from it, from reading it? I like how you phrased the question, right? Because, um, because the, the, the part you just said about like, when it comes to books about mom, about ident parenting identity, they're all about moms. Um, I mean, someone at the publisher wrote that and I like, I like it. Um, <laughs> but, but it was a really tough thing. Cause I think I was really writing a book that didn't fit into categories. So it becomes, how do you, how do you make it make sense to people what they're going to pick up? Um, yeah. you, you know, I didn't want people to pick it up and think it was a how-to book for dads. Cause it's certainly not like, you know, there's nothing in this book, like how, what's the right way to compliment your daughter. Right. Which I think yeah. a lot of people assume when they see it, it's going to be about like, like yeah. don't compliment the, your daughter's looks, compliment her brains. Right. And yeah. there's nothing that simple in it. Um, um, but but it, 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 it's very much about how dads need to change the way they think about themselves um, and the way that they uh, that they move through the world and frame the world and the family and their and the way they think about their relationship with their children. So so in that sense, we said it was about identity because a lot of it's about how we think about what dad is, right? What it means to be a dad, what it means to be a father, what it even in some in some ways even what it means to be a husband. Although I only kind of peripherally touch on touch on 
that um, and, and, and what that looks like in the current world, you know, and this is where the book starts to get complicated because father, of course, is a is an inherently gendered term. Um, right. And I wanted to write a book that was really, uh, really inclusive and, and wasn't sort of cis heteronormative in the way that it talked about about these questions. So it was more a book for how do you take people who want to identify as uh, as cis heteronormative dads and give them the tools they need to make sense of a world that is thinking about gender and sexuality and relationships and and sex in so in such different ways than everything they've ever been taught. Yeah. Well, so what does it mean to be a dad? Right. Yeah, that's what it really is. Is the question: What does it mean to be a dad? Yeah. Uh, we called it: What does it mean to be a feminist dad, uh, or how to be a feminist dad? Mostly because we wanted people to know that this was really a book about thinking about how dad fits into a to a, a, a new ethos of of gender thinking. Um, you know, okay, when yeah. I when I started to write the book, I thought I was going to write sort of a, a a Jungian archetypal book, like what's the core dad archetype and what's the father archetype across yeah. all of history and multiculturally everywhere. Um, I very quickly found out that there wasn't much of a good argument to make there. And that although there are lots of, um, of images of dad, there's really no good argument for gendered parenting at all. And I don't mean you shouldn't be a gender while you parent. I mean, do whatever you want while you parent. Yeah. I just mean the, the idea that, that, that men parent in a specific way and women parent in another specific way, while those things may be common because they've become the norms that we're used to. And so we, we enact those roles. There's no good biological argument for why dads would, for example, be the tough love parent and moms would be the nurturer, right? Yeah. There's no, you know, that's all, that's all nonsense. That's all sexist nonsense. Um, and in many, many cases used to maintain really problematic power structures. So then what about, so then forget the language of like dad, mom, like the, the part, the person in the relationship say, one is the birth person <laughs> is that is are we going it, it is different i'm assuming right to 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 be a different type of parent when you're the non-birth per purse parent you mean the parent that uh, you, you mean the parent who, physically who, <laughs> carried yeah. or birth the kid well. Well, it is, it is, and it isn't. Of course, it is different, right? I mean, anything's different, right? I mean, um, um, we don't. I don't want to pretend that difference doesn't exist. That would be absurd. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> but, but many of the things that we associate with those differences or take to be sort of facts are 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 really myths. Um, you know, like yeah. this this idea. Uh, so, I'll give you a few examples. You know, one is we we for a long time have said that because women carry babies, they have an inherently like almost spiritual bond with the infant child that's like that like transcends anything rational it's magical it's like right and 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 this has often been used as actually a way to to make moms have to do more work right because they feel like they're not being good moms if they're not uh, yeah. if they're not feeling it so then they try to enact this thing to try to feel it and be like wow there is a special supernatural bond one that doesn't necessarily uh that doesn't necessarily exist it might i mean in, in 
in individuals, but there's no science that shows that like every mom has a different relationship. In fact, there's lots of cases where where the father ends up having a much closer, and by father I mean in 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 the terms that we currently talk. You know, I shouldn't say currently the terms people often talk about it in right um, cis, cisgender terms. Um, the, that the father is inherently you know, it's a Freudian idea that their job is to separate the the infant from the from the mother. You know, this sort of ongoing weaning because the 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 baby wants so much nurturing, and we need dad to teach them how to be tough and to give a sense of the real world's apathy, right? But there's no science saying that that's there's anything male about that. That is mm-hmm. something that I think all kids need in some ways. But the idea that it needs to come from one parent or the other is problematic. Um, I mean, there's, there's, we, we can go through all of the, all, all these things. You can ask a million questions about this if you want. And I would also just say, one of the things that I found really interesting is that there are quite a few biological changes that happen to men while uh, while while the while the baby is is, is in your belly so i um, <laughs> I, um but um, like nobody, but nobody, there's hormonal, ch- there's hormonal <laughs> yeah. changes, there's neurological changes. There's, um, I mean, um, all, all different kinds of, um, uh, symptoms, you know, trouble sleeping changes in what they, in what they eat. Now the question is nobody can really prove whether or not that's because of the baby or because of the spouse. <laughs> right. So it could be a reaction. Where does to the, the anxiety mom. come from? <laughs> <laughs> right. It could be because they're just sort of mimicking, mimicking their partner. Um, um, but nobody really knows. And in, and in some, uh, um, like indigenous cultures that we don't, that we have research from going back hundreds of years. And, and I shouldn't say that research goes back hundreds of years. The research is from hundreds of years ago. There were indigenous cultures that no longer exist that that were very much uh, had sort of rituals where the where the where the husband actually had to do had to just like sit there for nine months and not do anything so they would experience a similar thing to what their wife was ex- was experiencing and all kinds of rituals to to acknowledge that there were that there were changes. Um, Again, I, I, what I don't want anyone to think is that I'm saying, you know, you know, men have it tough too during pregnancy. I'm certainly not saying any of that. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying that there's a, there, that that those post-pregnancy uh, uh, questions where we where we believe that there's a gender difference in how they're going to interact with the kid. There's really not any good research to 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 back that up. Selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business what I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level I know we use Shopify here at Betches and honestly anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash betches. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. So what do you propose then in the book that needs to change? Like, what exactly are you saying should it mean to be a feminist dad? Well, the first thing it means to be a feminist dad is, is, is to be willing to, uh, in the book, I call it critical consciousness, which is a term I, I stole from the, the Brazilian educator, Paulo Freire. Um, and it's, and uh, it's, it's about acknowledging how you participate in systems that are inherently sexist or inherently impressive or inherently problematic. And, and so the, all these things you and I were just talking about, the, these sort of taken for granted ideas like, like moms are always going to be the nurturer and dads are always going to be the tough love parent. Well, what happens is we end up living into those narratives and then we end up teaching kids to still believe gender essentialist narratives about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, right? We end up, the more that fathers end up playing the roles that sort of match the 1950s sitcom dad, the more we create a world where it's, where those stereotypes are taken for granted by kids. You know, kids grow up, as we were just saying, you grow up and you sort of mimic uh, the things that you saw in your own household, even when you try not to. I mean, I'll tell you right now, you haven't had the baby yet, but uh, you'll, and first you'll do all these things to try to not be anything like your parents, all the things you remember. <laughs> then the first time they fall down the steps and you're terrified, you just immediately like, I, I remember that day, the day I'm like, oh my God, that was my father's voice. It came out. I had tried so hard, but when I was scared, I could, there was no more trying hard. It just it, yeah. Mimic what I saw growing up. I was lucky. What I saw growing up was really po a, a, a positive model, um, not without problems, but but not perfect either. Um, um, oh, wait, that means not without problems means not perfect, right? Not but, but great and also problematic at the same time. Um, and and but the more we see, the more we imitate it, the more we end up modeling for our kids a sense of, of, of gendered uh, divisions and, gen and, and gender binaries that, that end up with problematic, uh, problematic attitudes. So, you know, one of the obvious examples here is if you think about the distribution of household labor. So, uh, so there've been a million studies that have shown this, even in families with the most progressive dads in, in, in you know, people who would claim to be so, I should say in history, because actually dads do spend more time at home doing childcare than ever before in human history, uh, or at least in recorded human history. Um, um, but even in those places with, with fathers like me, that would be like, I'm a proudly progressive feminist dad. I wanted everything to be equal when they do real studies 
of the labor in the household, they see that very little has changed, right? Very, and that's even in households where the mother is the primary breadwinner. She's still doing a disproportionate amount of the, of the labor. So um, what does that show kids? If you imagine teenagers, if you imagine, if you don't even have to go to teenagers. If you think of seven-year-olds and five-year-olds and six-year-olds who start to play by imitating the vacuuming, right? Well, are they imitating the dad vacuuming or are they imitating the mom vacuuming? How are they starting to make up ideas about how the world is organized? And so when I say be a feminist dad, it's time for us to really ask these questions as men, right? And it's our job because uh, women have been doing it for a long time now. Now we have to step up and be willing to say, hey, we're, we want to model a different version of gender equity for our children. Right. So what, I know you wrote you. I know you said it's not a how to. <laughs> so but like what for people listening, mostly women who are then going to tell their <laughs> partners <laughs> what um practical things that maybe do you share any practical tips that like father figures quote can do to reverse the stereotypes or like. Yeah. yeah, I, I, you know, I do some, I do some, I, I mean, I want to be, there, it's sort of a mix. Some of it's practical, but the larger question is that most people, this is not a book to tell you how to be right. This is not a book to say, I know what's the best way for you to be a dad. That would mm-hmm. not only would that be absurd, that would also be like, really no dad is that, you know, they don't, don't even ask for directions when they're driving. So they're certainly not going to ask for directions <laughs> on how to be a dad, right? So nobody would read it. But this is a book on, on, on how do you, uh, uh, that gives you the, the tools for how to ask yourself questions about your own behaviors so that you can make decisions that are better for you. So we were just talking about the division of household labor. I, I often tell people that's the first place to start with your partner is go, let's talk about household labor for a second. Let's make sure we haven't divided our chores according to genitals, right? Hmm. Did, did, did we divide? Because there's not, believe me, I mean, I do, I do a lot of laundry pretty sure there's nothing about a penis or a vagina that has anything to do with doing laundry. Also, it's not even hard, right? It's like <laughs> you, you pour some soap in and press the button. Right? The idea of someone being good at it is always oh, been crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's my argument to my husband, though. You're really good at it. Just keep going. <laughs> well, right. Whoever's better at it should be the one who does it. But so many of the things we do in our households are still based on genitals and it, for no reason, right? Like, like, like ask, sit down and go, let's think of all the things we have to do on a daily basis. Who's doing it and why? Often we're letting, you know, moms, do what's what many people call all the they uh, uh, eve rodsky has a great book about this she calls it the she fault parent uh, instead of default and the idea that moms end up responsible for all the sort of emotional intellectual logistic labor right uh they have to think about when's the next pediatrician's appointment they have to plan the birthday parties they have to pl- they have to think about planning the birthday parties they have to think you know they it's all the mental work going on in the background of everything they moms end up responsible for and then dads are like uh after mom says will you pick up the groceries they're like sure i'm happy to help but mom had to first think of all the groceries that were needed right mom had to first think about you know there is soccer practice yeah dad might pick the kid up from soccer practice but are they really tracking the schedule for example right a lot of that is 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 not is just you know it's just all falls on the mom so i think what what i suggest to most families is go try to imagine all of those things and really divvy them up according to who's better at it. In many cases, it doesn't even make sense because you have the parent who stinks at it doing it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Or who who enjoys doing it maybe too. Yeah, I mean, enjoys is a little bit of, I mean, enjoys is a good thing. 
I mean, I don't think I think people should do it if they enjoy it. But we also have been, you know, if this is where we start to get into real sexism, right? If you live in a world where everything yeah. on television has told you that you're supposed to have supposed a to enjoy su- it. supernatural love of your children that makes you want to fold their laundry and clean their asses. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll take it back. I'll take it back. <laughs> <laughs> then you think you like it, right? In fact, you have to say you like it or else you think you're a bad woman. Right. Right. No, I mean, that is true. Um, Okay. I mean, I think that that is so you're saying make like at least maybe like make a business meeting with your your partner and divvy up like what? Why am I doing this? You should be doing this or take who who should be um, the person taking responsibility? We keep keep score in my family. My partner partner Amanda and I we keep we have a whiteboard and we keep score like that keeps it also a little bit light like we joke about it and like uh-huh. we, we have a scoreboard and we're like uh we argue about who who gets <laughs> points for what you, I get a lot of points if I like go to like dinner with her parents or her or her, her sisters and, and she gets points if she goes to dinner with my parents and my brothers but then we also who did the vacuuming who did the who swept the floors and we and we keep track gold, and the, gold stars yeah <laughs> and like we get all the, i mean this is where i think that we there's some like covert like a sinister stuff in, in in the patriarchy is like we get all this messaging that's like you shouldn't keep score in relationships but we all know if you don't keep score in relationships it's gonna lean towards the man right everything's organized so the man and going to get more points unless you're actually keeping score. So I'm all for it. I keep score and I try to win and it becomes super competitive. And, <laughs> you know, if you want, I, I guess there's lots of ways you can manage like what you get. If you get more points, you could just, it could be pride. It could, you know, you could divvy that up in the bedroom, what you do with the points. I don't know. <laughs> However you want to do it, that's fine. But I think it's a great thing. And it, it, you know, anyone who has a company should know this, right? What you make a budget line for actually has value. And what we often do in our families is pretend that most of what we think of as women's work has no value. We don't mention it. We don't see it. We don't draw that budget line for it. So draw the budget line for it. Right. Like make recognize <laughs> at least. So, so maybe your partner could also, where you can recognize each other's what you do for the family. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not suggesting we need to change those roles necessarily. I mean, I'm all for changing some of them. In my house, I do all the cooking. Mostly it's because I'm a, I was a professional chef for years. So I, I can do it with a lot more ease. It doesn't mean I want Perhaps to do you it enjoy all the time. It. <laughs> uh, it's got a, there's a long history of okay, <laughs> unhappiness okay. around it, but it doesn't matter. It takes me, it takes me, you know, we have six people in the household. It's really easy for me to cook for six people because yeah. I used to cook for 600 people all the time and I do that with ease. So it makes sense for me to take that that on. Um what what but you know, but you don't have to do that. I'm not trying to say men need to do all the cooking. What I'm trying to say is yeah. you need to you need to tally everything up so that you start to recognize the value. The biggest problem I think in families, the the things that lead to the fighting and this is I know you have mostly mostly women listening, but I wish you had men cuz the things that lead to a fighting, the reason she's mad at you is cuz you're not recognizing how much work she's doing. That's it. Right. Just recognizing it would solve so many things. Just willing to talk about the fact that you understand that there are, you know, patriarchal uh, cultural things that make it harder to be a woman. It doesn't mean you have to do this. is not like, oh, you're an evil man. I'm not. There's no part of my book that's about accusing you. It's just going, (laughs) hey. I recognize that that there are that there that there are injustices here. I'll do what I can to use my privilege to fix them. I'm obviously not the solution by myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I love that take. I'm sure again, <laughs> I'm sure again, the, the people listening might just, just tell their partners <laughs> what you've just said. <laughs> well, they should, they should buy the book father figure as yes. a gift. That's the way to do it. Just leave it on the bedside table and you know, um, yeah. But as we all know, we need to make them come to that idea themselves to buy the book, <laughs> to want to read the book. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I want to talk about technology because in the in your first book, The New Childhood, you talk about technology and how kids and parents should embrace it, um, which is an interesting take because a lot of people, any parenting blogs or whatever, they're like, how to minimize technology. So how did you come up, <laughs> come up with this you know, idea and why? What's the thesis here? I am so glad. I'm so actually really glad you're asking this because you're doing it. The 38 weeks is the perfect time to be asking this question. <laughs> Most people ask me, and I'm like, "You're too late. You already screwed up." <laughs> so, yeah. You've got it right. Okay. First, first thing is okay. The 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 Amer the what is it called? The American Association of Pediatrics or American Pediatrics, whichever one it is. Sounds AAP, right. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they say avoid screens for kids under for kids under three. Okay. I'm I'm completely in line with this, but I want to I want to do I want to add some caveats here. One, kids are going to see enough screens no matter what, and there's nothing wrong with screens. So you don't have to give them any video games. You you know like like there's nothing toxic. It's not going to give them brain damage. They're going to see the TV occasionally because you're going to be playing with them while it's on. They're going to see your phone sometimes. They're going to you can't even go to a gas station anymore without the TV like playing right yeah, on everywhere. the on the pump right. So they're going to have enough screens without you having them any extra. That being said, when you have a newborn and you will soon, there it is impossible. Like you have no time to shower. There is nothing wrong with handing, handing the kid an iPad and taking a shower and letting them watch a YouTube video so they'll so they'll shut up for like ten minutes so that you so that you can like have a shower. In fact, I'd argue it's probably better than you being tired and not showered, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So don't. It's not going to hurt the kid. But what you don't want for little kids is for them to be watching videos, staring at a screen all day long. And that's not because the screen is dangerous. That's because they need, um, they, they need what's called a serve, serve and return interactions with adults. They need eye contact. They need, they need you to say things like, do you want a cookie? Do you like cookies? You know, like have the, have the conversations that teach them language, that teach them interaction, that teach them social, social skills. And what the, the AAP is really afraid of is that if they were to say, you know, note that screens aren't toxic, which we know, for, uh, then 
and parents are going who are tired are just going to leave the kid in front of a screen all day and they're going to lose all those positive not just positive essential parts of development so as long as you're doing lots of face-to-face talk with your kid you know a little bit of screen's not going to hurt as they get older this is where i think we have a real problem because we, we we're actually not introducing enough of the screen at the ages above three uh, uh to teenager okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and the reason i say this is what we were saying earlier Teenagers, the average age we give kids phones and tablets now, I think when, when I wrote the book, it was 12. It's probably gone younger now, but, but, um, but I mean of their own, not just let them use it, but like they have their own phone or their own iPad. Um, um, it, it's, 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 my guess is it's younger now. Um, but th- that, this never made sense to me, right? I, w- I was just telling you, teenagers don't listen to you. You can't set boundaries for teenagers. Like it's already done. The, the work of setting yeah. all you can do is like be angry at them for not following the boundaries. So don't introduce them something as they are once they are thinking for themselves. You want to introduce them to things like video games and YouTube and social media when they're still young enough that they're going to listen to everything their parents say when you can still control how many minutes they have where you can help them build good habits around, you know, when my kids were probably, I don't know, from six to six to 10, I didn't allow any handheld screens after dinner at all. Like after dinner, we watched a movie and then they went to bed or something like they, they were allowed screens as a family, but nothing alone. And I, and almost all of the video gaming from those young ages that they did, and they did a lot, but it was always with me or with their, or, or co-play or with another kid. It was, which we all know is a good thing, right? If there's one thing we know as a fact, you know, this goes back to Sesame street, um, that when they first did Sesame street, they did all of this research to go, how can we teach? How can we, how can we minimize the negative parts of screens and how can we maximize their, its potential as a teaching tool? And, it became, and the research was totally conclusive then, which is what they called then co-viewing, which meant parents and kids uh, watching together. That's why Sesame Street would always have like these jokes that were for the adults at the same time, right? You know, you, you know the, the Johnny Cash is playing with the Muppets and, and the kids are like cute Muppets and the parents are like, that's so funny that Johnny Cash just turned shot a man into in Reno is something about a monster, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Unlike Coco Melon, which I, <laughs> not much for the parents, <laughs> right? Exa- exactly. And so the parents end up putting their kids in front of a TV babysitter. Where Sesame Street, the parents would watch with with the kids. Well, that's the same thing. You should be playing as again, not before three, but once they get older, yeah, yeah, you should have, be like, how about we play Angry Birds together? We'll take turns, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we should play these things together. This is how they're going to start to learn social skills for a digital world, right? Um, We know that all social skills are learned through play, right? you, two kids are on the playground for, you know, imagine two kids on the playground. They're trying to play whatever game they're playing, pirates or ponies, or I don't know what they're playing. They're running around the playground with some crazy imagination game and, uh, uh, and they get into an argument. Well, what you learn when, even when you're like three years old, probably even younger is you go, wow, argument ruins fun. Let me try to not get an argument. Let me try mm-hmm. strategies to keep the fun going. Right. Um, and, and so that's how you start to learn social skills. You start to learn how to respond to other people's boundaries. You start to learn to set boundaries yourself, all those things that we need to be self-regulate your own behaviors, right? I'm not going to scream when they step on my foot. I'm going to just say, ow, I'm not going to hit them. I'm not 
not going to bite them where I'm going to yeah. regulate my emotional response. This is all things we learn playing. Well, we're always playing with technology, right? But old technologies, playgrounds were invented in the, in the early 20th century, uh, sliding boards, uh, sandboxes, all early 20th century uh, um, ideas. In fact, prior to the early 20th century, most play was considered uh, um, uh, sinful. It was like idle time. Don't be, don't be idle. We need right. to get those kids to work in the fields fast <laughs> before the, before the, before the devil gets them. Um, uh, so, so, so what it is very important to get those playground skills, but there's another kind of playground and that's a digital playground. And that, and that's where you start, you know, it's a different kind of skill set to be able to manage those things. That's why they need parents next to them, starting to teach them that. The other thing I'll just say about a regular playground is when my kids were little, I used to take them to the playground. I don't know, almost daily, right? Almost every time it wasn't raining, we lived up the street from a playground at the time and I would walk them there when I got home from work and we would play for an hour then we'd come back. Most of what I did at that playground was I went like this, don't bite, don't hit, <laughs> share, be kind, don't yeah. hit, don't bite, share, be kind. Well, right now what we do with screens because we don't give them to them till they're like hormonal teenagers. It, and then we're like, deal with it yourself. What we should be doing when they're five and six and seven yeah. is going, don't do the digital equivalent of share, don't bite. Why do you think people are so terrible on Twitter? Their parents never taught them manners for the digital world. Yeah. How do you, but how do you like navigate the addictive nature of technology? Like a playground isn't as addictive as an iPad. Well, that's a, that's questionable. So <laughs> that depends on how at you look at it. At least I don't think so. <laughs> so when we talk about addictive and, it, and it's pro and it's problematic, uh, you know, uh, we should probably use a different language because okay. it depends on whether you're talking about, uh, uh, you know, addiction traditionally meant like chemical dependency. Now people are starting to use a, a different neuro neurological definition. I, that's why I just sort of just avoid the word because I'm not a doctor okay. with enough, with enough to be able to make the distinctions. Um, but the first thing I would say is like, they're usually talking about the little dopamine hits that you get from like, you know, the, the reward system that's built into a video game, for example. Right. I mean, it's a small dopamine hit. Yeah. It's about the same as you would get from a hug or from eating a piece of pizza. So what we're trying to do right now is to go, Hey, a, a reward, a, a, a product that has reward systems built into it, which may, is problematic in some ways, but that's, you know, a problem with capitalism, not a, not a problem with tech technology. Um, and I'm not saying I'm against capitalism either. I'm just saying like, if you want to take up the reward system in for, for profit, then that's the location of it. It's not, yeah. it's not, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not because it's a, a screen. Um, but, but what we have to do is we have to teach the self-regulation skills. And that's why I think that parents need to do it next, sit next to their kids when they're little. And you know, your kid, when you're little will also eat chocolate cake all day. If you don't, teach them how to say no, if you don't teach them what those limits are. And, and in most That's cases, we don't do it. Uh, in most cases, we leave kids alone to be in their, in their bedrooms with the door closed. And then we're like surprised that they've, uh, that they've got unhealthy relationships with screens. Another thing I'll say, then this is more to parents who have, um, um, older kids, whether those are, whether those are seven, eight year olds or, or even teenagers, you know, we hear a lot about things like video game addiction. And what has always concerned me about that is that chances are, if you're, if your child has developed an unhealthy escapist attitude to the screens and to the social media, that there are other problems that have led them to that. 
And when we scapegoat the social media for that, we don't look at those other problems, whether those problems are familial problems, whether those problems are anxiety problems, whether those problems have to do with body image. What are they escaping? Right. Yeah. And and so many of the things we're terrified in social media. I mean, this one is another one that always, and which now will tie the two books together, which is you hear this all the time, the Instagram, like, oh, it creates this terrible ideal of the body that makes people lonely and depressed. Listen, body image issues and, and bullying uh, uh, and bullying based on gender has been going on. At least it was going on when I was a kid, but we're pretty sure it's been going on at least since the beginning yeah. of the 20th century to suddenly pretend that it's gotten bad because we're aware of it is not okay, right? Uh, The screens have brought to the surface what was always there. Kids who were ready to commit suicide because they're bullied because they don't fit into normal gender categories, for example, right? Um, Kids who are feeling unbelievable pressure to conform with social social ideas about sex and consent and are are consenting to things they don't really want to do because they're afraid that they think they're going to be uncool and unpopular if they don't say yes. Those things were all happening long before the internet. And we are actually starting to talk about those things. Um, Again, uh, don't blame the internet for those things. Also, I'm not saying it's okay. Just let your kids be on the internet all day. I'm saying we need to be parents who get involved and acknowledge these difficult challenges and struggles of what it means to be a child and help our kids through them. And I don't think those things have gotten harder. They've just gotten harder to ignore. Well, with social media and Instagram, like while I agree with you, those kinds of issues have been around forever. I think that there's now just a lot more of it and it's constantly in your face. I think that's part of the problem with social media. However, there are a lot of benefits because like you said, people are talking about it. There's a lot of positive stuff that you can find where that normally before that you wouldn't, you wouldn't have any resources to find any positive, um, yeah, that's a, so, so there's an argument people make a lot, which is which is yeah. they go, you, you know, at least if you were the kid getting bullied in pre-social media, you could go home and you would get some respite from it um, and, and you don't get that at home because of the screens. I mean, there is some there is some truth to that, but we also do know that many kids who were getting who who. who are bullied for whatever reason or have other problems, whether it's eating disorders, whether it's trans kids, whether it's homosexual kids, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever they, whatever they are that would have gotten them bullied in the old days, they're now finding support online. We also have done studies where we, where we know that when you ask kids what uh, questions about cyber bullying and in-person bullying, they still report a much higher rate of in-person bullying than cyber bullying. Most of them say they haven't experienced any cyber bullying. They almost all say they've experienced in-person bullying. Now, is, can we trust their self-reporting? I'm not trying to give that as a like, last you know, ditch report. I'm just saying that we have a lot of assumptions around these things that don't necessarily have good enough science for us to take those assumptions to be true. Um, and we love to, you know, we like the things that we, we have confirmation bias, especially when it comes, I mean, this is something I just, I mean, I'll change the subject for one second, but keep it slowly, slightly connected. Uh, between the two books, I discovered like amazing things about confirmation bias, you know, where like um, when I would write things for major uh, media things, right? Major media will take the worst study about screen time 
and then, but you know, no matter how bad it is, and turn it into the scariest thing ever. It'll be like one kid reported that the internet caused them, uh, right. caused, yeah. caused, caused them, and, and they suddenly make the we get most alarmist titles. <laughs> yeah, I tried to write some articles about like gender and how it shaped people, and I and they and I got. I won't mention the 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 uh, the 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 media outlet, but it's one of the biggest ones. They looked at the study that I cited and. And they complained that there were only 24 people in the test case. And I, I just went, the amount of things that you all pub- have published with bad methodology, why is it you're not willing to, like, you're actually checking the methodology on gender <laughs> studies, but you didn't check it on any of the screen studies? Because the screen studies keep our regular uh, attitudes about screens in place, where when you try to break down ideas about gender, you know, people go, oh, I don't want to break that down. I don't want to think about that differently. I'm going to double check this study Uh. (laughs) right well nuance doesn't get clicked (laughs) another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to just talk about fatherhood again. Um, what, just from the perspective of a father, like what are some challenges that father in fatherhood that kind of no one really talks about, or you don't hear often said maybe from uh, their, the mother or the, heteronormative mother um situation um maybe- you, can, you can imagine how hard it was to write the, i mean the, I every can. sentence i had to think about was yeah, those questions say. and it's important i'm glad i had to do that yeah uh, but it was hard and that's what what part of why i wrote the book was acknowledging how hard that is right now yeah um so what are some challenges maybe that like just let me say i'm gonna say mothers might not <laughs> might not see or think of the the first thing I'm, I'm trying to think about how to frame this as a simple answer to your question, but I guess it's just going to get complicated. Um, <laughs> uh, let's do it this way. The, I, I don't think we realize how difficult it is, how, how difficult the patriarchal expectations are for fathers. Okay. I want to I, I say that, but I also want to say that with the caveat that I am not saying fathers are victims because that would be absurd in patriarchy to be to say dads are victims. But I will say that there's a lot of di- there's a lot of difficulty in being a father. We have this image in our culture and in many cultures around the world of of what some researchers call impossible masculinity. Um, um, and what they mean by that is 
you know, all the things we think of automatically when we like be a man, right? Uh, the, the, like king of the hill, you're supposed to be the alpha. You're always supposed to be the strongest. You're supposed to be able to, you know, women are conquest and you have to be, you need to have the fastest car and you need to be the toughest and all the, I don't have to keep going. Everybody knows, everybody yeah. knows that. <laughs> it's impossible to achieve, okay? It's impossible for every for everyone to achieve, right? Um, and, and just to make that point, right? You can't be the alpha in every Every part of your life, right? <laughs> right? You have a boss, or maybe you have, or maybe you have a, maybe, even maybe you're, maybe you're lucky enough to be a, an athletic superstar, right? Like an NBA player. You still have a coach and a manager and advertisers and people who are above you. Even if you're the president of the United States, and we had one who liked to imagine himself as an alpha, um, <laughs> um, he he's who's supposedly the strongest, most powerful man in the world and still was like crying every time anyone made fun of him, right? Because he <laughs> is constantly feeling like, how dare you don't give me the respect I need as a man, right? So all men are going through this experience of feeling that they are not achieving manliness. Every single man, whether they'll admit it to you or not, is go constantly walking through their day going, oh my God, I'm failing to be the man that I'm supposed to be. I'm failing to be the man I, they've been telling me I'm supposed to be since I was 12 in the locker room. Okay. I'm not as strong. There's someone stronger than me. In the worst case scenarios, those men come home and they look at the people who are weaker than them. And that's their chance to prove they're at least alpha somewhere in their own house. <laughs> and in the worst case scenarios, that becomes real violent or sexual abuse. And, and, uh, but in almost every other scenario, it still becomes problematic behaviors, right? So I don't want to you ever, I don't want any men to be like, like, well, I don't ever hit anyone. So therefore I'm okay. No, you're not. You're still mansplaining and you're mansplaining at home because you can't mansplain at work. Okay. Mm -hmm. And because you feel you're full of self-loathing all day because everyone's told you you're supposed to be something that's impossible to be. So you always feel like a failure. So you take it out on other people and you do it by trying to prove your strength or by, or by leading to depression or, or, or all of these things. And that's where we start to need to reproduce really bad ideas about what it means to be the so-called man of the house. Uh, that's where we start to do so many things that, that are problematic. I mean, there's a part in the book where I go into detail about where we get ideas like, um, daddy issues, right? This idea, this, what's a, this strange idea we have about men, about dads and their daughters. It's this weird, erotic, subtly erotic idea that they're supposed to like, that's my little darling. She was married. I give her away at the wedding because now there's another man she loves, right? A dad's supposed to be like the prototypical boyfriend. And it's so weird and creepy when you look at it. But isn't it Freudian? <laughs> it's actually post-Freudian. It has came about in 1940s. Freud, oh. no. Freud actually believes that the Oedipal all ended. I mean, I'm not defending it's Freud, about <laughs> but, yeah. but, it, but for Freud, the Oedipal stage is over by like five. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> but what happened in the 1940s was all the, after Freud was dead, all these other psychoanalysts, both men and, and women, uh, started to say there was a second Oedipal phase only for women, right? In which they're, they're, they find their sexual development through their relationship with their father. And if they can't do it, uh, um, that's when there's real problems is if their father doesn't say the right things, right? If your if dad ignores you too much, you're going to have daddy issues and you're always going to want men to, uh, to treat you, uh, to, to compensate for that problem. And you're probably going to be promiscuous, right? We all know these ridiculous stereotypes, yeah. right? If you got 
too much attention, then you're always, then no man's ever going to be good enough for you, right? So dad has to balance the entire sexual future of of this. And by the way, it gets, I I don't write about these details in the book, but it gets really creepy when you go into the history of this. There are doctors who thought it was better for a father and his daughter to actually consummate a sexual relationship than for there to be no relationship where the where the daughter didn't know the father. What doctors? I don't want to tons read that. of tons oh of God. them. Really, this, this was taken as the norm. Was that like all, all your ability to be a healthy woman was de- all dependent on your relationship with your father? You can see it if you just think about some of the uh, um, some some famous plays, like you know, Glass Menagerie. The, the like here we have this frigid daughter who who can't have any connections because the father is absent. Right, um, father knows best is a, is another part where this erotic daddy daughter not the not the well yes also. So the Steve Martin version, but that's the later later version. There was a much earlier version um, from where it came where it came first. I mean, that's really from the time when it all when it all became normal. There used to be ads, so you know, you should take your daughter shopping. You know, that was how you get to. Uh, I, I mean, I have a whole chapter about this in in the book, and when I read it, it just totally freaked me out. I was like, this is uh, this is crazy. My mom for years when uh, until until my grandfather died every year my grandfather would send her a box of chocolates shaped like a heart on valentine's day every year and even as a little kid i was like isn't valentine's day about a different kind of love i'm really confused and there was nothing like there's nothing bad. Uh, my grandfather was a great guy, but but he had g- probably received so much media about this is how you raise a happy, healthy daughter wow. that he was doing this weird thing, right? <laughs> um, and many people still do it. Yeah. What's the daddy-daughter the- dance at the yeah, wedding? No, like, I that's know. weird. <laughs> I still did it. Um, but so, <laughs> so then how does like the, you know, the not being man enough and being the man of the house, how does that, you know, segue into being a father like the how, how do you how do you avoid that at home yeah well well what it means is you you really need to understand uh the way i put it the way i put it in father figure is you really need to understand that you are not the hero of the story, okay? You're the hero of your own story. We're all the hero of our own stories, right? We all go through the world thinking like we're the protagonist and we're, you know, I'm Luke Skywalker and then I had a kid, now I'm Darth Vader, right? <laughs> um, um, you know, we all go through the world with all these, with all the, with, with all this idea that we're the lead character in our own, in our own story. What we forget is that everybody else is also going through it that way. So what happens a lot of times for for dads, especially because all of the media is telling us that it's okay for us to do it this to to see it this way, and that we are the most important person in the story, is that we actually think we are. Um, for a perfect example of this is. Research has shown that most families end up living what's most convenient for the father's job. Even if the mother makes more money, they end up living in the place that's most convenient for the father's job, the same town as the father's job. Instead, you have to realize that every other person in your family is also the hero of their story, and you might be the villain sometimes. You might be the mentor sometimes. You might be the annoying sidekick sometimes. And you have to be willing to play whatever part you are. Well, thank you so much for all of this, Jordan. Um, thanks for coming on the show. How can people you know, pick up your book? I'm assuming it's available where books are sold. But um, I hope share. so. <laughs> <laughs> people are looking. It's like, oh, no, I can't find it. Um, can you share where people can fo- follow you, find your books? 
all yeah, those absolutely. The, the book is called Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. And you can, uh, you can find it at any of the major bookstores. I like the indie bookstores. Most people like the indie bookstores these days. So I'd encourage that, but I won't be mad if you if you do it if you do another one. Uh, bookshop.org is a great way to, to order that gives money to independent bookstores. Uh, or if you want to just learn more about it or find lots of links to order, you can go to feministdadbook.com. Feministdadbook.com. Do you remember when uh, I, I don't know how old you are? When I was a kid, we still had answering machines. How about you? Um, I had answering machines. Yeah. yeah. And you had to like say the number five times just to make sure so I'm going <laughs> to, can I say feminist dad book.com yes. five times? So no one spell has it. to re- rewind feminist. <laughs> no, if you, if you can't spell feminist dad book.com, then I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but actually it's pretty easy. It'll come up in Google feminist dad book.com. Yeah. You know, even if you spell it wrong, Google will fix that for you. And then you can follow me on any social media. It's at Jordosh, J-O-R-D-O-S-H, J-O-R-D-O-S-H. That's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, not TikTok yet, because every I time say TikTok. I try, you know, every time I get excited to try TikTok, my kids are like, dad, please don't get on TikTok. That's so cringe. That's so cringe. Ugh, they love to say that. And your first book, The New Childhood, Raising Kids to Thrive in a Connected World is also. That's right. You'll also find that at feministdadbook.com. Once you go to feministdadbook.com, you can find everything about me. Um, you know, you, you know, photos. Um, I don't know. <laughs> everything. everything. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, being our first dad on the show. And everyone, please go read Father Is Figure. Is there like a plaque or something? Did I get a plaque for being the first dad? <laughs> I'll send you um, an indie book gift card. Um, <laughs> a certificate? Can I just get a certificate? <laughs> I'll draw something for you and mail it. Um, well, that is it for this episode of Bet. And that is it for this episode of Betcha's Mom's Podcast. Do not forget, please, to rate, review, and follow us on Apple and Spotify. Follow Betcha's Moms on Instagram. You can follow me at Aileen. Follow Jordan at Jordosh. <laughs> and remember, there are new rules in this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. The Betches Moms podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Social media by Brittany Levine. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram and send us your emails to moms at betches.com. Betches.